Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 27, reads as follows. <clears throat> Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself let each of you look out not only for his own interests but also for the interests of others let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. If I were to ask you tonight, what is the world's most deadly and dangerous religion what would your answer be? Some might say Islam. No, that's not the most deadly and dangerous religion. And no, I have not forgotten the pictures of the Twin Towers or 911 or all the other attacks that have occurred both before and since that time. But despite all the death and destruction of those religious fanatics and terrorists, it's not them. So what is the world's most dangerous religion? Somebody might say, well, what about all of those man-made denominational churches that are never seen in the scriptures where ravenous wolves in sheep's clothing convince people by the millions that they're saved through some process never seen in the scriptures. And then, then those people won't even study to see what the scriptures say because they have been misled and deceived into believing that they are saved so they don't need to study what the Bible actually says to be saved. That's dangerous. I asked the question sometime the past couple of weeks. And I ask it again. Just consider this. What is more deadly and dangerous? Somebody like Adolf Hitler who was responsible for the extermination of over six million earthly lives? Or some of these religious false teachers who are responsible for the losses 
of tens of thousands of eternal lives by teaching people that they're saved in a way different than what God said. Who's more dangerous? But no, I'm not talking about them either. I was almost a casualty, by the way, of some of those man-made corruptions. It's neither one of those, though. You see, as deadly and dangerous as those religions are, there's still one that is far more subtle, more sneaky, more deadly, more far-reaching and soul-destroying than both of those combined. You may be scratching your head, but it'll all make sense in a moment. In fact, truth be told, this one I'm about to tell you about is the real religion that lies at the very heart and soul and establishment of both Islam as well as the denominational world. And it is also the religion that is responsible for and at the root of atheism, idolatry, and paganism in the world today. It's an epidemic religion, and it is even sadly present within the Lord's Church pretty much everywhere in the world today. And you may think, well, wait a minute, whoa, stop. <laughs> How can there possibly be a religion, a common religion that is found both in and amongst and intertwined with such diametrically opposed groups as Islam and denominations and atheists and pagans and even biblical Christians and members of the Lord's Church? How is that even possible? Well, it is. I think the first thing we need to do is understand the term religion. We've got to define it. A portion of the definition of the word religion from Webster's New World College Dictionary, 4th edition, reads as follows. Any specific system of belief and worship, often involving a code of ethics and a philosophy. Second meaning, any system of beliefs, practices, ethical values, etc., resembling or suggestive of or likened to such a system. Hmm. Any system of belief involving a code of ethics and a philosophy. So I come back to the original question. What is the world's most dangerous religion? What is the one system of beliefs, practices, and ethical values which helped to produce all these man-made religions and permeates even the Lord's New Testament church. Brother Leo Woodman from the Desert Church of Christ in Kingman, Arizona recently wrote an article, and I'm going to excerpt the first two paragraphs of his blog entitled, The World's Most Dangerous Religion. Here it is. The world's most dangerous religion is worship of self. Think about it. Worship of self. He writes, not only does it destroy the worshiper, but also those they come in contact with. The reality is that mankind is fixated on self-worship. We are all guilty of it. No one is exempt. This religion of self-worship is destroying people. It all began when Satan tempted the woman with being like God in Genesis 3 and verse 5. Ever since that day in the garden, mankind has been thinking far more of themselves and their opinions than they'd ought to. Think about it. Symptoms of self-worship 
can easily be seen, and we're going to look at a multitude of them tonight, symptoms of self-worship. What does it look like? They can be easily seen in every belief, in every practice, in every division, either not seen in the scriptures or condemned in the scriptures. Symptoms of self-worship are easily identified in the lives of those who pridefully put themselves and their wants and their needs and their desires for power above what God wants and desires and demands from them. God demands that we humble ourselves and empty ourselves. We just read in Philippians 1 and 2. That we empty ourselves, that we become humble and obedient to Him. But you see, this practice of self-worship won't allow that to happen. What are some of the symptoms of self-worship? We'll get into them shortly. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 22 and 3, the Apostle Paul addressed this very idea. He addressed exactly that spirit of self-desired worship when he warned against the dangers of following fatal, man-made, and man-pleasing doctrines and commandments. He called them... Self-imposed religion, as the King James and New King James puts it, or will worship, as the American Standard puts it. He talks against self-imposed religion or will worship. Now that Greek word that is used there, that is translated will worship or self-imposed religion, very interesting word. In the Greek, it's something like, esoles, I knew I was going to do that, let me try that again. Ethelosreskia, it's a long word, okay? According to Wayne Jackson's New Testament commentary, this will worship, quote, is worship which one devises and prescribes for himself contrary to the contents and nature of the faith. We're talking about the faith once delivered. Vine's Dictionary says it is voluntarily adopted worship, whether unbidden or forbidden. Don't miss that. There's people that say today in our world, well, I can practice this in the church because God didn't say not to. But see, that term will worship in Colossians 2, 22 and 3, it's talking about worship that I want to give, whether it's forbidden or unbidden, either one. God doesn't have to come out and forbid it and say, don't do this in order for it to be wrong. Because if God didn't say, go ahead and do this, then it's unbidden if you add to it. It's like the unauthorized fire of Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus 1, uh, 10, 1 and 2. You know, it's easy to see how worship of self, doing what I want, because after all, I'm me. Doing what I want in religion, this worship of self, symptoms of self-worship, it's really easy to see in the denominational world. For instance, people today love their quote-unquote contemporary Christian music, love their bands and their boy bands, it'll just like the world, only put a cross behind them and somehow they're religious. And then they think this is okay for church. Even though the founders of most every major denomination was completely and totally against instrumental music, people today want it, so they have it. That's a symptom of self-worship. If I want it, it doesn't matter what God said, I'm going to do what I want to do. They do that with female leadership in the church today, despite God's two very strong prohibitions, and we know about that. Other symptoms of worship of self, have you ever heard of somebody saying, well, <clears throat> I'm going to go to that church because I like, they've got a really good nursery program. I've actually heard of that. They've got a really good, isn't that an awful reason to pick a church because they've got a good nursery? 
or I'm going to go, I'm going to go to that church because they've got, you know, 1,500 kids or 15 kids in their youth group and you don't have any, so they've got to be right and you've got to be wrong. Really? You see, that's symptoms of self-worship. I'm going to do what I think is right and I don't care what anybody else says. I don't care what God says. I'm going to do it my way. That's self-worship. What I think matters more than what God says. Sadly, this is why some people who live locally in this town and have been invited to study the Bible with us as individuals won't have anything whatsoever to do with studying the Bible with us. And yet, they will go right by this building on a Sunday, agreeing to disagree, as they call it, to some man-made denomination that doesn't even exist in the word or mind of God, just simply because, why would they do that? They do it just simply because it better suits what they want to do and believe, as opposed to what God said. That's worship of self. I'm going to do what I want to do, despite anything else. You see how dangerous self-worship is? You see how dangerous the symptoms of self-worship are and how they manifest themselves? But here's the thing that just breaks my heart. I mean, I'm not mad at these people. It breaks my heart, and here's why it breaks my heart. They don't understand, just as I didn't at one time, they don't understand that they are not rejecting or disagreeing with us when they don't study and accept what the Word of God says. They are disagreeing with and rejecting God when they won't study with us and do what God says. They're rejecting God even though they're going to something they call worship, but it's worship according to the doctrines and commandments of men the way they want to do it. So it's a symptom of self-worship once again. All of these are denominational examples of worship of self. And again, some people don't dare to look into the Word of God with us who practice this worship of self. You know why, don't you? Because they might find out, if they get into that Bible and they look hard enough, they just might find out that the things they want to do are not what God wants them to do. The things they practice in worship are not what God wants them to practice in worship. So it's easier, if they're going to continue this worship of self, to stay out of the Bible so they don't see what God wants, so they can continue to do what they want to do. And that's easier, dot, 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 for now. Sadly, the worship of self and the symptoms of self-worship are not limited to the denominational and pagan world. Sometimes they're all too easily seen and recognized as having returned and reclaimed some of the weaker, some of the less biblically knowledgeable, some of the less mature and more pride-filled and power-seeking and self-promoting members the Lord's Church. We're not immune from this dangerous and deadly disease of worship of self and doing what we want instead of what God wants. Just because we go to a building that says Church of Christ. And I'm not talking about us. I'm talking about us. Look around. We've gotten to the point in our history and our heritage where we have to call ahead if we're going on vacation and check out the church and see if they've got instrumental music for going to Church of Christ. We've come to that point, haven't we? We have to call ahead and see if we're going to walk in and see a full band on stage 
Because that's what the people want, despite what God said, that's worship of self. Or if we're going to have female elders or a female preacher or prayer leaders on the Lord's table, unfortunately we've come to that. What is that? That is worship of self. We're going to do what we want to do. We've got a talent, we're going to do what we want to do, and we're going to find a way around what God told us he wanted, because what we want is more important. That's self-worship. That's me above God. But there are other examples. When a person comes to the Lord's church and they hear the biblical black and white book, chapter, and verse truth preached about any topic, the consumption of alcohol, adulterous relationships, denominational doctrines and their adherence, the Holy Spirit, or anything else, when they come and they hear that, and they see that in the scriptures, and they refuse to study and accept and believe and obey what God said, and they either up and leave and go out those doors and never come back, or they stay and make a problem, guess what? That's a symptom of self-worship. I'm still going to do what I want to do. See how dangerous that is to the church? See how that can rip us up? Worship of self and symptoms of self-worship is a system of beliefs and practices that has come about as a result of when what a person desires to do and be takes precedence and priority over what God desires for them to be. Symptoms, they're all over the place. Let me mention some others. Karen and I, as I told you in Bible class, recently traveled down through another little Oklahoma town and we come into this main drag in town and see Church Christ on the left and we get down the street probably less than a mile we see another Church Christ little town get down the street half a mile further than another Church Christ they got three Churches Christ here about a mile and a half think about that we're all one right we're all supposed to be one we all think we're going to heaven and yet you've got three different groups Churches of Christ who apparently can't meet and worship in the same place now this is my guess just driving by the buildings, I have no way of proving this. Notice I didn't tell you the name of the town. Not this time, anyway. <laughs> My guess is that one of them is probably of the non-institutional persuasion, binding where God is not bound. First one we went by was probably, by the looks of the building, the more liberal or contemporary group, loosing where God had not loosed. And probably the third group would be the faithful to the old path scripture group submitting to God by binding and loosing only where he has. Or, or, could just have been some church leaders that couldn't get along with one another and started their own group down the road a few blocks. Because somewhere along the line, and this happens sometimes, Personality conflicts get so strong that certain leaders are going to do what they want to do and it doesn't matter what anybody else wants to do. They're going to do what they want to do. It doesn't even matter what God wants them to do. And so churches split and rip and tear. That's worship of self. That is, when churches split like that is a symptom of self-worship. Worship of self is what happens whenever somebody is humbly, faithfully, scripturally, relentlessly, selflessly, and compassionately trying to serve the Lord and His kingdom and others 
when they see this, this one that is trying to humbly and sincerely in a Christ-like manner serve the kingdom, others get jealous or offended or made to look bad and they can't stand it. So they refuse to support these other people or they seek to prevent what they're doing. Happened to Jesus all the time. Let me give you some examples. Happened to Jesus on many occasions at the hands of the self-worshipping religious leaders of his day. Mark 3 verses 1 through 6. Luke 13 verses 10 through 16. John 11, 1 through 53 and a number of others. When they looked bad, they couldn't worship themselves anymore. And so they took it out on Jesus, who was doing nothing wrong except serving God the way he ought to have been. Worship of self is what happens when a self-righteous people look down their noses at the selfless ones whom God sees as faithful and justifies. The Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18, 9-14 would serve as an example. Brethren, worship of self is built upon the foundation of a self-exaggerated sense of pride, ego, self-worth, and importance. And what that, what that inflated sense of ego and pride and self-worth, what it does is it drives this insatiable desire and demand for more personal power and control. And what it can't control, it will destroy because it must have control. It must please self. And brethren... That is always ugly and detestable and disgraceful and disgusting, according to God, because all it does is cause death and destruction and division. That's all it does. Turn with me in your Bibles and we'll see this in Proverbs 6. Everything we've talked about, Proverbs chapter 6, if you would please, it's found right there. The world's most deadly religion is worship of self, and it is found in every other religion and non-religion in the world. Proverbs chapter 6, beginning at verse 12, reads as follows in the New King James Version. A worthless person, a wicked man, walks with a perverse mouth. He winks with his eyes, he shuffles his feet, he points with his fingers. Perversity is in his heart. He devises evil continually. He sows discord. You're going to see that phrase again here shortly. Therefore his calamity shall come suddenly. Suddenly he shall be broken without remedy. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look. I'm better than you, you know. It's going to be my way or you're out. A proud look. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. When you think of the word sin, just picture this for a minute. I didn't make a PowerPoint, okay? The word sin and the word pride. Think of the centerpiece of the word sin and the word pride. It's what? Eye. Think of a big steel I-beam, like they build these, these big skyscrapers. Think of a big steel I-beam. That is the middle, the focus, and the center point of both the words sin and pride. And God hates them both. The book of Proverbs mentions the word pride, good Bible number, seven times. Let me read you those seven verses. Here they are. 
If you're taking notes, that's fine, but just listen to the text as well. Proverbs 8 and verse 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate, says wisdom. Proverbs 11, 2. When pride comes, he's talking about any time. When pride comes, then comes shame. Pride brings nothing but problems and shame. But with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 13 and verse 10. By pride comes nothing but strife. There is no good that can come out of it. With pride comes nothing but strife. But with the well-advised is wisdom. Proverbs 14 and verse 3. In the mouth of a fool is a rod of pride. But the lips of the wise will preserve them. The one we're probably most familiar with, Proverbs 16 and verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. If pride is leading the way and a haughty spirit is right there with it, there's going to be a fall, there's going to be destruction, there's nothing good going to come out of it. Proverbs 21 verse 24. A proud and haughty man, scoffer is his name, he acts with arrogant pride. And finally, Proverbs 29 and verse 23. A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. Worship of self, me first, is the most deadly religion in the world. We see it in the New Testament as well. Turn to me to Galatians 5. Galatians chapter 5. When we talk about the sins of the flesh... We would notice in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 20 that amongst those are these. Galatians 5 and verse 20, after we get past idolatry and sorcery, watch this. Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish, underscore selfish, ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy. If you go from the third word in the New King James, the third word of verse 20, hatred, and you go all the way down to the first word of verse 21, envy, every single one of those, every single one of those terms has to do with worship of self, me first. Every last one of them. But nowhere is it better said in the New Testament or maybe even in the Bible itself than in James chapter 3. Please turn there. James chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking, there it is, the religion of self, the worship of self, it's right there in the scripture in verse 14. If you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your self-seeking is just the opposite of what we read in Philippians 1, 27 through, 28, uh, through 2 verse 8. If you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom, this self-seeking, bitter envy type wisdom, does not descend from above. It's not from God, but it is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Where it is me first and you don't count, whether it's you as a people, you as a pagan, you as God, when it's all about me... 
and I'm going to be first and I'm going to worship myself by doing what I want to do the way I want to do it, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, you know what? Going to be nothing but trouble. Nothing but trouble. How many congregations of the Lord's Church makes me want to sit down and cry, it really does. How many congregations in the Lord's Church have been divided or even shut down and closed their doors because of the world's most dangerous religion, the worship of self amongst some of its members? Tell me again, this is not dangerous even to us. You know, in the beginning I read Philippians 1.27 through 2.8. And that's just the opposite of everything we've talked about since. What did Jesus talk about there in Philippians 1.27 through 2.8? What does the scripture talk about? Rather than being full of self and worshiping self and doing what I want, what does it talk about? It talks about emptying of self. It talks about humbling oneself. It talks about doing what God wants and being only consumed with what God wants and that alone. Nothing else matters. I don't matter anymore. It talks about putting the good of others first before my comfort and wants. It talks about totally giving and sacrificing yourself on behalf of others like Jesus did. And for that very reason, God exalted him to the highest place. Say, well, I deserve to have my way and do things my way over brother or sister so-and-so. I mean, they're brother and sister so-and-so after all. You know, I sacrifice myself on behalf of, you know, like them? Who did Jesus sacrifice himself on behalf of? Doesn't it say somewhere, like John 3.16, the whole world? The worst, most pathetic evil, cruel individual you can think of, Jesus went to the cross for and put himself second in order to serve their need. Yeah. Brother Woodman concludes his blog article by saying this. There is only one remedy. Jesus. Jesus. The problems of this world will not go away until we truly come to follow Jesus. When we see him as the true example of how one should live in this world. Acceptance of man's philosophies, man's religion, man's politics, sexual orientation, and culture will never make mankind like-minded with one another or with Jesus because all of those things are self-worship at their core. And he's right. If we want to affect real change in the world, then we must follow the teachings and example of the way and the truth and the life, Jesus. Only then will we see true peace in the world. We must, I love his last two lines, we must get over ourselves. <laughs> How dare we make ourselves equal to him? You see, sin and death are what our personal pride and our worship of self and our personal preferences amount to and lead to. But righteousness and holiness and an eternal life in heaven 
is what humility and surrendering, surrendering ourselves and putting this old man of sin to death, that's what that leads to. Think about it. Back on March the 26th, and yes, you can close your Bible now. Go ahead, I'll wait. Back on March the 26th, 2017, I preached a sermon on Sunday morning, and it was called Rising to Walk in Oldness of Life. That's death. And what I was talking about there was when we were baptized into Christ, we're supposed to put that old self-seeking, self-serving, prideful, egotistical man of sin to death. We're supposed to humble ourselves and put him to death. And if we rise up and we still get this sense of pride and we're not willing to, to empty ourselves and humble ourselves and serve other people and do those things, then we haven't risen to walk in newness of life. We're walking in the same old life we were before we got wet. In Romans chapter 6, 1 through 10, when he talks about baptism, notice the phrases, newness of life, verse 4. The likeness of his resurrection, verse 5. Our old man was crucified with him, verse 6. We died to sin once and for all, but the life we live, we live to God, verse 10. Notice how total and all-encompassing those phrases are. We've got to put that old man of sin fully to death. That's done when we are baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, if we truly repent. If you are someone who has been seeking to serve the Lord in a selfless, scriptural, compassionate, and Christ-like manner, but somehow you have encountered resistance and turbulence from a few who display any semblance of some of these symbols, symbols of self-worship. Just remember the divinely inspired words of the Apostle Paul to some of our beaten up and beaten down and beleaguered brethren in the Lord's Church in 1st century Corinth when he wrote this in 1st Corinthians 15, 57 and 8. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. If you are serving the Lord, if you are working for the Lord, don't worry about it. Keep on doing it because Jesus sees it. You have this hope in heaven and it does not matter. If those who still have too much pride to accept your efforts, don't. The Apostle Paul simply echoed the words of King David, the man after God's own heart, in Psalm 31, 23 and 4, where he said, O love the Lord, all you his saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. I hope tonight every one of us is mentioned there where it talks about hoping in the Lord. And I, I, I hope that every one of us has truly nailed that old man of sin with all his pride and ego, nailed him and left him behind in the waters of baptism. But he keeps wanting to come off that cross and he keeps wanting to infect and invade and run our lives and we can't let him do that. We can't let pride come back in and find a home and take over. Tonight, if you have never been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, God wants to do that. But please don't do it until you are fully ready to crucify that old man of sin.
Get rid of your pride. When you come to Christ, don't say well, after you come to Christ, well, I have rights. No, you don't have any rights. You give those up when you go under the water. You don't have rights. Now you have responsibilities. And your responsibility is to serve the Lord and love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You gave up your rights. Now you have responsibilities and a home in heaven. Maybe you'd like to do that tonight. Maybe you're somebody here who's already done that. But somewhere along the line, you haven't been serving. You haven't been putting that old man quite as far away as he needs to be. If you need the prayers of the church in that regard. If you need to be baptized. If we can help in any way. But please, do not succumb to the world's deadliest religion. And leave this building in that state tonight because it'll get you. If you have a need, will you please come to the front as we stand and as we sing.